What happened to music that meant something? Like the Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, the men behind one of the biggest songs of the year are with us live in the studio. Swedish pop band Peter, Bjorn, and John. Plus, we're going to rock it like it's 1995 again. We've got a new album from the reunited Smashing Pumpkins. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now to welcome our newest affiliate, WNKU from Highland Heights, Kentucky, broadcasts all over the northern Kentucky area and into Cincinnati, Ohio. As always, Greg, we like to welcome a new station that is taking a leap of faith and broadcasting our show by playing a great song from their region. These guys aren't from Highland Heights, as far as I know. Who knows? Maybe some of them went to school there at Northern Kentucky University. The Afghan Wigs were a great rock and soul and grunge band from Sub Pop. I love them. You love them. Despite the fact they don't have much love for you. I know they bristled at some of your critiques. Nevertheless, this is a fine, fine song, What Jail Is Like by the Afghan Wigs. Cincinnati's finest, the Afghan Whigs. Welcome to WNKU in Northern Kentucky. And time now for some music news. That is a track called Tarantula, the first single from the first new Smashing Pumpkins album in seven years called Zeitgeist. The album isn't even out yet, but already there is controversy swirling around the Smashing Pumpkins. The news came out this week that the album will be released in four different configurations. There's going to be the regular version, which is going to go to most of the stores in the country. Then there's a separate version for iTunes, for Best Buy, and for Target, each with an exclusive quote-unquote 
bonus track. He's getting a lot of flack from this, from the blogging, the blogosphere, the indie community, saying, you know, you're expecting us to buy this album four times. Look, I'm all for jumping on Billy Corgan when he's wrong, but I don't think he actually is doing anything wrong here. You know, he's giving the retailers something different so that he can each take a little pride in having a different version of the album. But you know, all these tracks are going to float on the net really sure. quickly. There is a core of 12 or 13 central tracks that's on all of these versions. That's the album proper. Well, I and I got to say, the Smashing Pumpkins are not the first band to do exclusive deals with major retailers. I mean, U2, the Beastie Boys, the Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah. what major mainstream bands haven't done these exclusive deals? I mean, we are talking about shrinking shelf space at a lot of these big retailers. These guys are battling for marketing position. It's not so much about buy my album. It's about here's an announcement that my album is out. But lest anyone accuse us of being homers or pumpkins apologists, we're gonna shift into reviewing this record. I think, Greg, this is a really interesting record for a number of reasons. One, anything the pumpkins do is always intriguing because this is a multi-level, always conflicted, always schizophrenic band. Two, I think we're seeing the birth of alternative nostalgia. We're gonna play a song from this record and then give our review as we always do. This is a song called United States. I think, Greg, that it is the central track on the album. Here's United States by the Smashing Pumpkins. That is United States, the nearly 10-minute centerpiece of the new (laughs) Smashing Pumpkins album, Zeitgeist. Now, Jim, I'm intrigued because you uh, left us dangling there for a second when you talked about this as, in your mind, the lyrical center of this album. The, yeah. All the themes are sort of articulated. Well, you said a couple of weeks ago on air on the show uh, that, that, you know, far be it from me to ever second-guess Billy Corgan. And it's true. <laughs> this man is is self-contradictory and, and impossible to read, but he names his album Zeitgeist. There has to be a reason. Number one, in the 90s, the Smashing Pumpkins were famous, were the most successful brooding miserable mopes. Billy made an entire multi-platinum, 40 million selling career out of sitting in his bedroom whining about the kids who picked on him in high school. The new pumpkins are looking at the world around them. You know, he's talking about we're, we're in the middle of two wars, we're in the middle of a global warming, we're in the middle of our freedoms eroding. I want a revolution. I want a revolution. Now, granted, the self-obsession uh, is not entirely waned because, you know, the key lyric in that song, I think, to me, is revolution. What will they do to me? But, you know, Corgan is a guy who, who loves symbols and signifiers and multi-level meanings. And 
you know, Zeitgeist also is resonant of the fact, he was talking about there was something special in the 90s. There was a feeling, there was a, a moment. It was a Zeitgeist. You would look out at the crowd at Lollapalooza, 30,000 people, where you'd play these massive festivals, and, and there was a feeling. This is our moment. But we had this power, and we didn't do anything with it. So I think that's another level of Zeitgeist. And I think the third is saying, you know, we, the new pumpkins, are going to tap into a new Zeitgeist. We are going to be the band of the moment. He's got this, this kind of thing. We're going to rock again because nobody's rocking on the currency. Personally, I think My Chemical Romance is doing some of what the pumpkins are doing here better now. Oh, I agree. When he left the scene in 2000, there weren't a whole lot of bands that sounded like the Pumpkins. In fact, throughout the 90s, he kind of had that turf all to himself. He was not the cool guy on the block. He didn't sound anything like Nirvana or Pavement or Pearl Jam. He wanted to sound like Boston in the middle of the alternative rock era. And he wanted to be a rock star. Multi-layered guitars. He wanted to be a rock star while doing it. None of this conflicted, tormented rock star, am I a rock star, am I not, Eddie Vedder, Kurt Cobain, even Trent Reznor routine. He wanted to be a superstar. He wanted the Learjet. Absolutely. Absolutely, and he combined it with that sort of goth personality, that woe is me, depressed, you know, 90s kid, you know, the product of the broken home. It was a totally different take on that than, say, Kurt Cobain. He's really a character out of Stephen King. I think if he could have been a fire starter and burned all the kids who beat him up at, at, you know, or like, (laughs) you know, made their heads spin off or something, right? As you alluded to, I think there's a lot of bands that have stepped into that wake and said what Corgan did was cool. I'm going to start my own band right now. My Chemical Romance, a lot of what Pete Wentz is doing in Fall Out Boy. I mean, he is that MySpace alienated kid out there, you know, putting that out in his Mm -hmm. lyrics. And there's a lot of bands doing this right now. And I don't think the the Pumpkins stand out as much as a result of that. They've made an album that sounds very much like what they sounded like circa 1995. It's basically Corgan and Jimmy Chamberlain, a great, great drummer, and a couple of imposters step in for Darcy Rutsky and James Eha. Corgan always contradicted himself. He spent the entire 90s insisting the Pumpkins are a band. And then as soon as, you know, the band split, he said those other people never did as much work as me. They never loved the band and believed in its cause as much as me. They didn't even play on the records, right? <laughs> yeah. So now I, I don't believe that these imposters he's hired are on this record. It's clearly just Jimmy and uh, and Billy. When you say it sounds like 95, though, let's remember that was their peak, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, sprawling double album. There are many different sounds within that Pumpkin's ouvoir, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that they start this album rocking really hard and doing the big bombastic rock. That's the Pumpkin's I always like the least. A lot of fans disagree with me. I think that they were better when they pared down, got a little more simple, and Billy started talking from the heart with Adore and mm-hmm. with Machina late in their career. Then the second half of this album kind of sounds more like that stuff. It's a little more melodic. There's a little more keyboard. This is the sort of music, if you were to cast a movie about the Pumpkins and have you know some schlubs playing the band and you couldn't get the rights to Pumpkin songs, yeah. but you wanted Pumpkins-like material... Mm-hmm. That's what this album is. Yeah, I wish there was more daring. I think United States is by far the most daring track on the record. It's so over the top. I mean, that is Corrigan at his grandiose. Have you read, have you read the European the reviews? Best. He makes it even longer on yeah. stage, and he throws in Jimi Hendrix's <laughs> Star Spangled Banner. See, now that's the Corgan who ticked people off, who got people really angry at him. Look at that poser. Look at that egomaniac. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the Corgan I really dug. From his Jim, I don't think he presses enough buttons on this record. I think no. it's a very solid Pumpkins rock record. It, it's a sort of a, a reminder of what a great band this once was, right. and but it doesn't take it anywhere new. And in in the environment with My Chemical Romance and AFI out there, I don't see this this band really standing out anymore. Buy it, burn it, trash it. I'm on a burn it at best. Yeah, it's a burn it record. It's like okay, Pumpkins are back, and you know I'm I'm looking forward to the live show. What's that going to be like? But, but this record really doesn't add to the legacy in any kind of significant way. 
you're listening to Sound Opinions and you're hearing one of the songs of the year, certainly a song of the summer, Young Folks by Sweden's Peter, Bjorn, and John. This is the song, Greg, that helped the band blow up when it was featured on Grey's Anatomy, and then Young Folks was sampled by Kanye West, and from that point on, it's been on everybody's iPod for sure. Absolutely, Jim. One of the songs of the last year. Uh, while they were on their first U.S. tour, the band stopped in to see us here in Chicago in front of a live audience. Peter and Bjorn were here in the studio with us, but not John. He was replaced by drummer and singer Nino Keller. We heard two different versions of where John is. Uh, one was that he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And the other was something about chamber music and touring Europe? Maybe both. It's a better story yeah. if we go with the former. Yeah, yeah. Go with the former then. But Nino Keller, you're in a band called The Caesars in Stockholm, right? Yeah. And Bjorn, you've uh, not only produced the Peter, Bjorn, and John records, but several other uh, Swedish groups, including The Caesars. I guess that's how you know Nino. You're getting such a reputation as a producer, you might even be staying on in the States for a while to do some records in New York. And, and, and obviously, one of the great things about this record that's that's connected with so many people is is the production it just sounds spectacular thank you <laughs> i think one of the things that's interesting about your production bjorn especially on the writer's block record one of the things that drew me to it you guys write these uh really cool catchy pop songs but there's some grit in the production it's not necessarily a sweet sound there's those sweet melodies but there's a real toughness to the production quality and uh it's an interesting combination. I mean, is that something that just happened by accident, or were you specifically striving uh, to sort of get that combination of sounds on, on this record? You always want to com like combine things that doesn't really fit together, like a folk pop ballad with Devo drums or something, trying to make opposites work, makes it more interesting. Also like downbeat lyrics with up melody, that's also... All those things are interesting and making it a bit grittier <coughs> and dirtier. That's always yeah. more interesting than clean sounds. Mm -hmm. Let's hear a song. You guys are set up here to play a little stripped down fashion. We've got uh, this is a powerful rock band. Uh, saw you in, at, at South by Southwest and at Coachella. And uh, there is that rock quality to you guys. It's uh, you guys like the laugh, who. But, but, but sometimes. yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, deliver, you deliver the goods. It's they a lot harder. They deliver the live yeah. sound. And, but you got, you're a little more stripped down. So... Uh, it's going to be a little a different taste of what Peter Bjorn and John sound like. Yes. Why should we do that? Plop plåtarna. Amsterdam. Baby went to Amsterdam She put a little money into traveling Now it's so slow, so slow Baby went to Amsterdam Four or five days by the big canal Now it's so slow, so slow And I tried to go away To a place of my own Eating good, sleeping good From early on Till I hit the bed Amsterdam Stuck in my head Oh, it's some kind of stupid rule That you can't ignore Oh, it's 
kind of natural fact Sometimes you're just left to be alone Baby went to Amsterdam She put a little money into traveling Now it's so slow So slow Baby went to Amsterdam Four five days by the big canal Now it's so slow So slow And I was heading up north To a place that I know I was working hard Filled my days Still I was way Way out of line Amsterdam Stuck in my mind Oh, it's some kind of stupid rule That you can ignore Oh, it's some kind of natural fact Sometimes you're just left to be Baby went to Amsterdam She put a little money into traveling Now it's so, 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 so Baby went to Amsterdam Four or five days by the big canal Now it's so, 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 so Baby went to Amsterdam She put a little money into traveling Now it's so, so Lovely. Lovely stuff. Uh, that is Amsterdam from Writer's Block, the third studio record from Peter, Bjorn, and John. Uh, we had uh, Bjorn on piano, Peter on guitar, and uh, Nino sitting in for John uh, with uh, knee claps and uh, the beautiful whistling on that song. Live so we got lots of whistling live, in this live band. Live Lots yeah. of whistlers. It's very impressive. And we'll have even more whistling later on. We'll be right back. <laughs> On Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more Peter, Bjorn, and John live in the studio.
welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're here in front of a live audience in the Jim and K. Maybe studio at Navy Pier in Chicago with Peter, Bjorn, and John, and uh, Nino Keller sitting in for John Erickson. Your tour manager was saying that just how insane it's been for you guys. Um, you know, you came over here, you played Coachella to thousands and thousands of people, and, and you're playing sold-out shows every night as you cross the country. You have this huge hit. It all started, I guess, with Grey's Anatomy. What expectations a year ago this time did you have about winning an American audience? Two albums earlier, cult following here. You've gotten reviews and, and, and press, but but not huge. No. Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> there was no well-planned no. out American invasion. No. I mean, yes, to make it no. clear, this is the first time you have toured the United States was yeah. this year, correct? It's like a proper tour. This is the first tour right now because... Before that, uh, just South by Southwest and a couple of gigs in New York and L.A. So, yeah, it's just amazing to start on top. I don't know <laughs> if it's good or bad, but but it feels great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of thrown into that huge machinery where big radio stations are are playing your song. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and, of course, I, I would imagine demanding your presence. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I'd love to go get some coffee at, at the radio station every day. But... um. It's a bit odd with the with the the sta- some stations because you come in there and they, you hear only new metal and then you hear some bongos. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> it's not really what we listen to every day, but um, it's n- nice people almost everywhere in this country, so it's great anyway. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you? What's been the most disorienting experience in the, in America? The first week when we came over for New York and LA and everything was sold out and the album wasn't really even out. Mm. That was weird. Just how do they know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, there's this thing called Why the do internet. they turn up? <laughs> 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 What's happening? You know? Because yeah, we've only sold weird. 10 records on paper. Yeah. 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 Where's yeah. the money? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's downloaded the track. Nobody's paid for it. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. The, the record came out in, in Europe last year. It uh, didn't come out in the States until a, a couple, of, couple of months ago. Yeah. Obviously, there was an example of a song flying around the internet and mm. building an audience for you guys before you even got here. Well, yeah. and the TV show. Yeah, but it's been crazy in Europe as well, and I don't think it's only Grace Anatomy, but it's, it's, it's good, though, and, 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 and great. But uh, we can, it's weird when we, when we go like to Iceland and yeah. there's full house of like, you know, 800 people. or you know, any, any full houses everywhere. Any city, it's like, yeah. <laughs> that's a bit weird. So. Mm. Were there audiences like this for you in Sweden when you were making the records there? <laughs> no, <laughs> they're still not. <laughs> so Sweden doesn't get it yet. The last show Sweden. we did in Sweden wasn't sold out, and they were a bit lukewarm. So really, yeah. <laughs> How do you explain that? I don't know. We're too they trendy, so we're almost behind. People get got bored of our first EP. Yeah, yeah, I, f- <laughs> yeah, I think so. I yeah. think they want to like catch something, catch them something very early, mm-hmm. and otherwise they don't catch it at all. Because they think, oh, this is the third album. Ah, if I didn't like it before, I can't like it now. It doesn't make no, sense. No, it doesn't, doesn't <laughs> look good. It doesn't look good in my CV of coolness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, eventually it's going to turn around because like, American media is very big in Sweden. So now you get to do interviews about Conan O'Brien, nothing about the record. Like, oh, how long? He was tall, was he? <laughs> uh, how did he look up in person? Like, was he nice? You don't want to talk about the record? It's been out sin, since May in Sweden, but no. No, we just want to talk about Conan. Okay. Wow. 
give us your experiences in America, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you guys give us another song? Yeah, of course. Bye. 
Peter Bjorn and John, Paris 2004, from uh, from the new album Writer's Block. All right, Peter, I'm putting you on the spot, man. Mm-hmm. Was there a liaison in Paris 2004? And and I you know, I hate rock critics who who quote lyrics, but your your words are so extraordinary because writing about romance is is uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring up Brian Eno. Brian Eno said rockers should never write another love song because it's all been said and and there's no nothing new to say. But that little vignette of I paint a ring on your finger with my black marker pen. I mean, yeah. that's really a wonderful way to talk about falling in love. Yeah. The guys fall asleep and she paints a ring. ring. Right. And it's all true, so. It is. It's no kidding. It's a, you, have you, yeah. you are not wearing a wedding ring. But I don't have a ring. proper ring. No, no. No. <laughs> it, it got off in the wash. <laughs> like when, <laughs> but we're still in love, though. <laughs> Maybe wow. someday. That's easy to write a, a, a love song when it's totally honest and it's just true. What did the object of your affections feel when she heard that song for the first time? Well, it's her favorite, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's a heck of a way. You're covered for about the next 20 birthdays, man. <laughs> You're all right. Anytime a fight breaks out, he plays the opening chord. <laughs> oh, honey. Get me a sharpie. Can you, can you write the two of us one of those? <laughs> really? <laughs> the bailout song. <laughs> Now, uh, there's continuous threads in the record, too. There's themes, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the fact that there's whistling on more than one song. There's, there's whistling on several songs on this record, you know? Yeah. We had a meeting, production meeting, <laughs> before, beforehand before the record, and we needed to, like, focus with the, with the instrumental choices we, we made. So we, we needed, like, not to have the country song, the opera song, the, you know, we need to use same instruments on several songs so put it that's together that's idea, yeah. and we also had the idea not to use any outside musicians so we couldn't use like on the two other records we had some strings and brass but we said this time around just to everything that is on record should be played by ourselves so and paid by ourselves that also <laughs> <laughs> well there, there's a, a a huge array of instruments like i said steel drums and there's tubular bells and yeah. uh were you guys playing that stuff on keyboards, or are you trucking it into the studio? No, it's real. Everything is uh, like acoustic, real instruments. Mm. Yeah. Even the Casio is real. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cot mentioned the whistling. I was going to save out on that, but we got to now. There, we were thinking of the other great songs in rock history that have whistling. You know, like "Dock of the Bay" by Otis Redding and "Jealous Guy," both the John Lennon and Brian Ferry. But you guys are right up there. So what I want to know, you know, you know, I'm a pretty good whistler, but there's certain times where you know somebody makes you laugh or your mouth is dry and you just can't get it up to whistle. Yeah. So is the That's whistling about it? Is the whistling <laughs> on, on true. digital backing or are you guys whistling live? I do whistle live, but we have a backing as well. I, so I knew like it. A, a backup. All you Swedes. It started with you know Britney Spears, and then the, all those <laughs> Swedish productions. It's all on can. Yeah. Get out of here! You're not <laughs> whistling live. It is actually played though, so we, nothing is like going on in the background. Oh, so you whistled we, once? Yeah, we, we used the sampler over there. And it's, it's not a backing track. It's not a backing track. It's like different pads. Give us a whistle. <laughs> all right. So he actually hits it, and then, then that disappears. So if you have yeah. to go on, you, you have to. Hit another one. So hit another one. So I mean, <laughs> it's not that fake. <laughs> and then I always whistle live as well. So yeah. But it is true. You get sometimes after a couple of songs, especially if you have a cold or something, mm-hmm. you just can't do it. So and then but people get disappointed. So. <laughs> well, but now yeah. people know that hook, so you have to have people in the audience yeah. whistling too, right? Yeah. Yeah, humming yeah. and 
screaming as well. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I suppose that could be offsetting if there's bad whistling going on. Yeah. That song sort of started in a strange place, too, Bjorn. It didn't really start. It started in a spot where you wouldn't think that that song would end. <laughs> that would be the end result, right? You yeah, were, you it were started up north in Sweden at the piano for a jazz album. But uh, then it sounded too much, much jazz, so I tried to make it into a pop song, and it worked out better. So How did it start? You're sitting there at the <laughs> piano. <laughs> <laughs> I started just like... Uh, Some kind of I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just play, I don't know, like some Duke Ellington stuff or something. When did the idea of like oh the verse would sound really good whistled come along? We had an idea before that we needed good intros on this album. We we kind of that was the production meeting yeah. result. <laughs> <laughs> like we we oh, we need we, we love good intros. It's yeah. great. So on every song we tried good intros and then. I mean, that melody is quite strong, uh, I guess, so it was no idea like making up a new one for the intro, so we just need another sound for the intro. Mm -hmm. And that was the whistling bit. Then. Let's, let's do the hit then. <laughs> <laughs> Talking on me and 
Usually when things has gone this far, people tend to disappear. No one will surprise me unless you do. I can tell there's something going on. Hours seems to disappear. Everyone is leaving, I'm still with you. Doesn't matter what we do, where we are going to. We can stick around and see this night through. And we don't care about the young folks. song I don't get tired of. Young folks, um, Peter Moore doing the live whistling folks, acoustic guitar, um, Bjorn on uh, treated piano back there, and uh, Nino Keller doing a great Johnny Erickson imitation. Uh, (laughs) They may keep him as a permanent member of the band, you never know. Well, thank you, Peter, Bjorn, and John, and Nino (laughs) for coming on Sound Opinions. Thanks. Thank you very much for having us. In a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we have been so inspired by that song, Young Folks, that Jim and I are going to weigh in on the greatest moments of whistling in the history of rock and roll.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. You're hearing a lot of whistling in that song. That's a mashup from DJ Ryko called Whistler's Delight. It's going to set the mood for the next segment of the show here. Uh, Jim and I are going to dig into our collections and find some of the best whistling moments in rock and roll history. Yeah, and there's been a really good discussion on the message board, Greg, soundopinions.org. People having some great suggestions. But we have got our three each. We're going to build to our favorite. I have a theory about this, as I did about the pumpkins. I have a lot of theories today, okay? I think that not only can you be using uh, or should you be using to have a truly great rock and roll whistling song, be using the whistling as an instrument, right? But it has to have some connection to the song. There's a reason why the whistling is there. Mm -hmm. It's not just I decided to use whistling instead of a flute because I was too cheap to hire (laughs) an orchestra player to come down, right? Right. So so you following me? The first I'm going to choose is uh, Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. You know, and obviously this is kind of about strutting your stuff as you walk down the street. We can't forget that stupid 80s video. In fact, you know, the, the Bengals were one of those bands that their photographs and their their videos made them seem much less cool than they actually were because mm-hmm. they started out as a great psychedelic pop revival band, part of that Paisley underground scene in, in L.A. And uh, this was a fine song. It was foisted on them, but they did a good job with it. And it's a great recording. And, you know, the whistling is when you're strutting your stuff and you're a beautiful woman, as all the Bengals are, and you're walking down the street, guys are going to whistle at you. I think that's there's a, a reason the whistling comes into this song. Walk Like an Egyptian from the Bangles. Jim, uh, there is a tradition of wolf whistle songs in rock and roll. Uh, most recently in that uh, Jules Santana hip-hop song, There It Go, the whistle song. He's ogling a fine-looking young woman, and uh, he's whistling at her. Go, damn, show me look good, and I'm thinking about getting at her. Okay, time to whistle at her. The predecessor for this, uh, the Jewel Santana song in the hip-hop world, I think, is this song, I Know, from De La Soul and their Three Feet High and Rising record. They sample one of the most famous whistle parts in all of rock and roll history, Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. De La Soul picking it up and saying, you know, pretty-looking female, I want to court her. I'm going to take the most famous whistling part <laughs> in the history yeah. of rock and roll and use it to get her attention. So they do it very expertly on this song. In addition, you're going to hear another familiar sample on this record, Steely Dan's Peg, De La Soul with I Know on Sound Opinions. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to back. It's the daisy age, you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Hip-hop love this is, and don't mind when I quiz your evolvements before the sun. But clear your court, cause this a one-man sport, and who's better for this than plugged one? Plugged don't one. have to worry about me squashing other deals, cause they've already been squished. Freeze a frame of our moves the same, wish we can continue right behind the bush. You'll stay with me, I know this, but not because of all my earthly treasures, or regardless to the fact that I'm possibly the noose, but because... The fabulous De La Soul, I know. Good choice, Mr. Cott. As I said, I like whistling songs. There's a reason for the whistling in the song. 
Peter Gabriel, Games Without Frontiers. Games Without Frontiers was a uh, French and European game show where adults dressed up like kids and did stupid things, right? <laughs> and so Gabriel is using this as a metaphor for the world political situation where, where he's imagining Cheyenne Ching, which is supposed to be, you know, uh, China, obviously, and all these kids, you know, uh, beating up on each other in the sandbox. It's a brilliant, brilliant song, and they're whistling while their fingers are on the trigger, you know? They haven't got a care in the world except that they may destroy the world at any minute. Peter Gabriel, Games Without Frontiers. Hans plays with Lottie, Lottie plays with Jane, Jane plays with Willie, Willie is happy again. Suki plays with Leo, Sasha plays with Brit, Adolf builds a bonfire, Enrico plays with it. Jim, your choice of uh, Peter Gabriel's Games Without Frontiers kind of dovetails with what I, where I'm going next with my favorite whistling songs. From the album Meet Puppets 2, the Arizona trio led by the Kirkwood brothers. You know, in the early 80s, Jim, I don't know about you, but I was thinking, you know, I'm going to end up in a war somewhere in some <laughs> godforsaken place. It seemed like that. And it's going to be Ronald Reagan's fault. And yeah. it was just a really dire bad time to be a young man in this country because I felt like, you know, we're going to die in a nuclear war. We're going to get sent off to some... God forsaken place fighting to in die. Nicaragua, yeah. And I, Meat Puppets 2, for, for one year, was basically my soundtrack for that kind of feeling of just dread. I, I, I saw it as an, a, an extended allegory for surviving the Reagan years. And it ends with this song called The Whistle Song. It, it's not a happy whistling song. This guy is seeing ghosts everywhere, and it's that uh, whistling in the dark kind of uh, vibe. You're scared out of your mind, and you're sort of whistling to yourself to sort of keep yourself sane. Kirk Kirkwood sings this song. His voice is all over the map. He's kind of out of tune, out of pitch. He remarkably finds a little bit of pitch during the whistling parts of this song. <laughs> but I think it's a brilliant way to re- end Meat Puppets 2. It's, it's one of those records that still lingers with me, and the whistle song is one of the reasons. Here's the Meat Puppets on Sound Opinions. Puppets, Greg, good choice, good band. Uh, I was tempted to go with Ween for my number one. Yeah, that was a good one. I was tempted to go way back to the Colonel Bogey's March, which is the official name. Well, actually, the official name I can't say on the radio of the song from Bridge on the River. Kauai, yes, because you know I'm a history buff. However, I think that the best rock song in all of uh, rock history for whistling is Jealous Guy. Absolutely, it, of course, was written by John Lennon. Yeah, I'm not going with the Lennon version. Again, conceptually, why is the whistling there? Well, Lennon's song is a confession by a guy who's torn apart by jealous feelings for his lover, and the whistling is is part of that. You know, I mean, you can imagine whistles uh, for for the object of his affection breaking his heart. 
when Brian Ferry and Roxy Music recorded Jealous Guy, it was weeks after Lennon's assassination on the streets of New York in December 1980. I think that when Ferry sang it, there was, you know, in addition to the heartbreak, and he's one of the great heartbreak masters of all time in rock history, in the love sense, there's the the heartbreak of this man who, who never did anything except make music and was shot for it because he was so famous. And I think that the sadness and the... Uh, inability to explain why John Lennon was killed. You know, when Ferry just starts whistling, it's like sometimes there are no words to be had. And it was just this pure expression of, of music for somebody that uh, that he loved and the world loved. So this is uh, Roxy Music's reading of Jealous Guy. That's a great choice. Uh, the wistful Brian Ferry, Roxy Music version of Jealous Guy. Uh, truly one of the great uh, whistling parts in all of rock and roll. You mentioned uh, in your prelude to that song, uh, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah. Another song that you cannot get out of your head yeah. with the whistling part is indelible. And the yeah, whole theme go. is, you know, these uh, these British prisoners of war are marching off to build this bridge for their for their Japanese captors, and and this is the way they're sort of keeping their spirits up by marching off to work every day and mm-hmm. coming back from work and doing the they're same whistling thing. while they work. Yeah, and I think that which is uh, also a pretty good one. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. And Colin Moulding, in his eternal Britishness with the band XTC, I think was referencing the bridge over the River Kwai when he wrote the song Generals and Majors. Yeah. Uh, here is a song where he's got this jaunty whistling throughout the song, very, very reminiscent of the way the British POWs were marching off to build the bridge over the River Kwai in discussing just the absolute insanity of what was going on in the world in the early 80s. Generals and majors always seem so unhappy lest they got a war. Generals and majors, like never before, are tired of being actionless. He saw that same world that Kirk Kirkwood on the other side of the world saw with the Meat Puppets on Meat Puppets 2 and, and was writing a song very much referencing the same dire atmosphere in the world. You just don't build and, all those tanks and bombers and don't want to play with them. You know what I mean? Andy Partridge, uh, Moulding's uh, pal in the band, was, is, is, is a world-round collector of toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, and he knows that. And, and, and the, just, just sort of the jauntiness of going off into war and saying that it's going to be this great, glorious thing. And, and the whistling really kind of captures that spirit and the perversity of that in the lyrics. XTC, Generals and Majors on Sound
Excellent choice, Mr. Cod. Generals and Majors by XTC from a phenomenal album, Black Sea. I was going to choose it. You chose that, so I got back at you by choosing Jealous Guy. <laughs> but but those are both great songs. Can't go wrong with any of those songs. No, you can't go wrong with Sound Opinions. What do we have next week on the show? Next week, we are going to be looking at some of the big albums of the summer. Crowded House has got a new record out, their first one in decades. New record from Spoon, new record from rapper T.I. We're going to give you the reviews next week. Greg's Sound Opinions was produced, as always, by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. Chuck Lee is our intern. Our session with Peter Bjorn and John in the Jim and K. Maybe studio was recorded by Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse. And as always, our executive producer, fearless leader, and whistler unparalleled was Tori (laughs) Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, this is uh, Armando calling from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I just caught your show on hip-hop and the use of language. I think it was great. First time I uh, actually heard your program as I was driving from Raleigh to uh, Charlotte. And uh, just have one comment. Uh, I was um, disappointed that you didn't go out and get some uh, man on the street or woman on the street opinion from, uh, you know, the bulk of the uh, public that buys that kind of music, much younger people than the uh, actual uh, guests that you had kind of representing uh, the public. I think they were, they seemed too old and too educated to be really representative of the bulk of the public that's buying those records. I would imagine those would be more high school age and uh, pre-high school graduating age. These people that you had seem to be people in their late 20s, very highly educated and very savvy. But a great show, and I'll keep tuning in. Hi, my name's Laura. I'm from Joliet, and I'm responding to the conversation about lyrics. I concur with the amalgamation of the recording industry and the uh, freedom of lyrics, but there's a bigger issue than artistic freedom. It's uh, constitutional freedom, and you can't ban words. As hideous as they might be, you can only vote with your consumer dollars. Don't buy. Twist your knobs and don't listen. That'll set the record straight. Thanks. Good show. Hi, this is Brian Cronk. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'd like to, to just say that I think Jim ought to admit that he doesn't like Kelly Clarkson. It doesn't matter what she would do um, if uh, if she produced the best album ever, um, he would still pan it. And I appreciate Greg being objective about this artist who may have gotten her start in an unorthodox way, but has a great voice and deserves to be uh, reviewed objectively. Rebecca from Chicago, and dudes, I want to thank you for reviewing the No White Stripes album. Oh my God, it's so good! Like I can't, I can't deal with how great this album is. It's, it's heavy, and they're doing new things, and you can hear all their influences, and they're just, 
but it's it's also undeniably white stripes, you know? I just, I just really love it. And um, I, I'm going to go listen to it some more. So thanks again, guys. And, you know, keep up the good work and stuff. My name is Lisa Amundsen. I'm calling from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I wanted to comment on your uh, review of the White Stripes' new album. And while I'm coming around, I still think that they sound like a imitation of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, the Muppet band fronted by Dr. Teeth with Animal on drums. Uh, not that I would compare Meg White to Animal, but, you know, I think that she would be worthy of it. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.